electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the latest on the market volatility. Whether the great reversal is a sign the worst of the selling is over. The investment committee debating where we go from here and the best places for your money right now. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, and Josh Brown. Let's check the markets as we always do. You'll find red across the board. So we're resuming our slide today. Dow was down about 800 points today, so we had cut that about in half. Sliding, but not at the lows of yesterday. And that's an important point to make uh, yet. All right, Jim Labenthal, I'm going to begin with you because it was a pivotal, a pivotal excuse me, call we had yesterday uh, when you called in and said that you thought we had bottomed, that that was capitulation, that you were a buyer of stocks, that you were going to be a buyer in the last hour of the trade yesterday in which you followed through on that and did just that. You bought more Apple and Qualcomm in the afternoon after buying more Twilio, Wynn and Greenbrier yesterday, which you told us about. But take me through your thought process today. Yeah, and great show yesterday. Thanks for having me on. Look, I did say that that was a capitulation trade. What I may not have made clear is that doesn't mean you go marching straight higher. That reversal yesterday caught me by surprise. And it's on the basis of that, it's not surprising we're down a little bit today. I mean, we've got a Fed meeting tomorrow that we're going to get, or today and tomorrow that we're going to get an announcement from that the market's hanging on. And you've got Ukraine versus Russia going on. So I think we're going to rattle around at this level for a couple of days. But under the heading of trying to be helpful, I said this yesterday, I want to say it more strongly. I think the market is way ahead of where the Fed is in terms of getting hawkish. What I expect the Fed to do in its announcement tomorrow is say, yeah, we're going to be raising rates soon. We're going to complete the taper in the next couple of months and we're going to raise rates. But I think they're also going to say we're going to be data dependent, meaning Raise rates in March. Raise it 25 basis points. None of this 50 basis points garbage. That's analysts falling all over themselves to make a headline. Raise 25 basis points and then see what happens. There's absolutely no reason for Powell to state that he's going to be raising four times or raising 50 basis points. There's a lot of indication that inflation is flatlining right now and may even come down from these levels, probably will be, and the Fed is going to be data dependent. So, yeah, I think we've bottomed, but I don't think we're marching straight high. I still have about 5% cash. Next few days, I'll probably put that to work. Okay. I think we bottomed. That's, that's the, word that, the, the words that I'm going to take from our, our interview just now. Steve Weiss, you covered all your shorts. You covered Freeport, the Qs, Roblox, the SMH. You sold the SARC, which is the gang was just talking about leading into our shows, the short ARC fund, um, which obviously had been a big winner as those, uh, that fund has, has gotten hit. So take me through the way you're thinking now about the market. Do you agree with Jim Labenthal that we have bottomed and we did that yesterday? You know, uh, actually, part of the reasons I took it off is that I, I spoke with Jim after the show yesterday. And, and as I said, I bought some Facebook during the show. So I expect some pop. Uh, I took him off because I just didn't want to get piggish. I mean, the shorts have worked out extremely well. And I just want to absorb it. So I'm still only about 55% invested, I'd say, at this point. And rather than shorts, I have a lot of cash because I've shaved a lot of positions. I don't know that we bottomed. Uh, I tend to think that we haven't. And the reason I say that is that, is that the market's got to get accustomed to us being in an extended tightening cycle. And yes, stocks go up in that cycle, but this is an unusual time. It's not a normal cycle where Fed tightening is going to have an immediate impact on inflation. At least that's my view, because inflation is caused by the supply chain, not only demand. And I think at this point, part of the wealth effect has actually driven inflation 
inflation as well. So the Fed really doesn't care about a Fed put. No such thing exists in this market going forward. So you have to take a look at how we got to where we are. And how we got to where we are is by incredibly easy money for an incredibly long period of time. Free money. And as that dissipates, I think people will be less inclined to go into the market and view it as the riskless trade that it was for the last few years. So when I go in and buy, it's not going to be the snowflakes. It's not going to be the docu-signs. Those are done. Sure, they'll pop. They'll trade here and there. But, what, but I think at this point, you want to get back okay. to valuation. Something you period. just said, though, is interesting. So you don't think the Fed cares about the disruption in the market enough to do anything about its policy moving forward. Is, is that what you're saying as well? Because that's what it sounded like, too. Well, yeah, I mean, that that is what I said. Let me just make that a little more clear, which is that the Fed is much more focused on inflation than they are on a Fed put. Now, if the market trades down significantly, if we had a couple of days like going forward, like we did at the bottom yesterday, then I think they'd come out and talk to try and quiet it down. But I don't believe they're going to get off the timetable for raising rates, regardless of the market. That's just not going to happen. That's a much bigger priority. All right. So Dow's down 370, again, down more than 800 earlier today after yesterday's slide. By the way, at the lows yesterday, the Dow was 33,150. Okay, so even though we're down right now, we're obviously considerably higher than where we were yesterday. And that, for the most part, is the same story in in each of the major averages today. As you look at the declines and how far we were um, from the lows, we obviously recovered a a fair amount from that and still remain significantly below a a lot of the lows. Josh Brown, I I turn to you now. I look at our, our sheet here. You were a buyer as well. You bought more Dutch Bros. You bought more Matterport into the sell-off yesterday, and you have other bids in. But I'll talk about the the names that are within the the bids. But let's talk about Dutch Bros and Matterport, which you've talked about on this program, too. Why'd you buy those yesterday? Well, all right, so let's start with this. Neither one of those ought to be taken as emblematic of, like, my market opinion. Matterport is one of the biggest disasters in my portfolio, maybe the worst, this is a stop that I had an average cost at like 14, 15 bucks. It ran up to 30, round tripped, and now it's at nine. Um, it has not done well. And I look at a lot of the selling I see there, and I can only conclude that some of it is forced selling from momentum players or, or um, high growth tech funds that are being redeemed. So I'm, I'm adding a little bit there and bringing my, my average cost a little bit lower. I never thought I'd have this opportunity. Uh, but a lot of things happened that I never thought would happen. So uh, that has nothing to do with how I feel about the overall market. Dutch Bros is the complete opposite. This is one of the strong, strongest stocks in the tape right now. It was one of the first to turn green yesterday. There was some really big news about uh, coffee sales in general, um, outpacing all of other restaurant sales in the month of uh, December. I think this company will have really good results. It's a tiny market cap. It's a couple of billion dollars. So I expect volatility but I like seeing strength in a really ugly tape, um, so I, I, I couldn't help myself. It's a brand-new position, and I'm really just starting to buy for the first time uh, and, and get my feet wet there. So That being said, I agree with both of—hold uh, on. I agree with what both uh, uh, Labenthal and Weiss had to say. Um, I think to Jim's point, you don't have to buy the bottom, but you can start doing constructive things, whether or not you think the overall market— uh, is going straight up. A lot of people are going to be disappointed when we don't get that immediate gratification that we've all become accustomed to over the last couple of years. I don't think we're going to get it, but that doesn't mean there aren't stocks that are buys. Number two, to Weiss's point, uh, there's no reason to think that we've, we've seen the worst of this because all of the price action is terrible. Like we'll, Even if you look at the Dow components that have just reported pretty good earnings, The reactions there, other than American Express, are not good. IBM should be up double what it's up right now, and it's not. And the reason why that matters is because we're going to get Microsoft and Apple this week. I think both of them are going to have incredible earnings reports. If the market doesn't care, that's really not a great sign for where risk appetite is. And to me, that's going to say we have more work to do to the downside. Think about how big and important those two names are. So that's my bigger picture market opinion outside of any moves that I might have made yesterday. Okay, so Shannon, I'm coming to you last on purpose because, you know, rather than being a buyer, you're a shopper. 
Um, you've been looking at some things, certainly yesterday, in the way that the market declined so dramatically. What is on your mind today? Have you done anything in the market? And what are you specifically looking at? Not yet, Scott. Uh, I think that there's a, an asymmetric opportunity tomorrow for the Fed to really screw up the press conference. And so I'm a little <laughs> bit more hesitant to be an active shopper um, ahead of that, because I, I think it would take very little um, for you know, Powell to make a misstep in the press, or not necessarily in the statement. I don't think the statement's going to be mind-blowing by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that from my perspective, if I'm looking at some of the things that are potentially opportunities, um, you know, both to, to the three gentlemen that already came before me, to their point, the Fed is focused on outcome. And so I'm thinking about it in terms of what is the outcome of what the Fed is going to do this summer, regardless of how many rate hikes it will it be? What are we looking at from an economic perspective later this year? And so there are areas such as retail and semis that I think we're going to discuss later in the program that look attract that could potentially be additions to the portfolio today to create the opportunity for additional gains 12, 18, 24 months from now. And that is not to say that there aren't opportunities in the in the names that Jim is buying as well, particularly in the cloud, in hybrid compute. But those are names that I actually already own in my portfolio. And so I don't necessarily know that I would add to my positions there. I'd rather be looking at the areas where I think from a cyclical perspective, align with what the Fed is trying to deliver as part of this rate hike, coincident with the fact that I believe inflation will be coming down in the back half of the year, and that will limit the, um, the need for the Fed to get really active. But Josh, we've had this conversation with you, and, and you've probably been the most outspoken on the show that the Fed is not going to be as aggressive as the market thinks it's going to be, in large part because yep. of the dislocation in the market. And that the Fed or the market is doing the Fed's bidding by the pullback and the tightening of financial conditions, at least from a wealth effect standpoint. Do you do you still stand by that? Because Edyard Denny's out with a note today and he joined us yesterday, said the stock market's recent taper tantrum is unlikely to change the hawkish course of monetary policy. And then here's what Jim Chanos told us yesterday, which you can react to on the other side. The idea of a Fed put and the Fed is going to always be there to bail out my bad investment decisions is really not a cogent investment policy to hold on to for a long time because it may happen and it may not. And, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, we all obsess about the Fed and what the Fed's doing. But uh, the fact that it, it will bail out the stock market at some predetermined level of losses, I think, is a very dangerous idea to uphold. Reaction? I think that's I think that's mostly right. I don't think the Fed is aiming to bail out the stock market. However, I think there's a little real politic going on in that the Fed understands that a lot of the drivers of inflation, not all, have been from the wealth effect. We had uh, the price of existing home sales hit a six year high. You can't have 20 percent price appreciation in the average, the average home in the United States and not expect Um, that to be an inflationary uh, pressure elsewhere. So people that think that they're rich all of a sudden are spending money on other things. You have that same phenomenon going on in the auto market. You have the stock market fueling this outrageous wealth effect. Bitcoin certainly didn't help. Any company that wanted to was able to go public with no problems. Insider selling of appreciated and inflated stocks. All of that is part of what's driving the inflation. So I think a couple of things are going to happen that are going to give the Fed leeway to not be quite as hawkish as maybe everybody thinks. The first is every year, not just this year, you have seasonal inflation that completely collapses. We have huge imports in the month of October to get ready for the holiday season. And then we have huge consumer spending every December. This is not a surprise to anyone. That's already collapsing. The second thing is capacity is coming back online. So a lot of the shortages and a lot of the supply shocks and blah, 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 that everyone is aware of, that stuff is getting better. Maybe we would all like it to get better faster, but it's a fact that it is. If you look at the ships that were sitting outside of the port in L.A., you look at the rail traffic, on and on and on, it's improving. It's not great. It's still there, but it's getting better. And then the third thing 
if we're going to have this continued cooling off in the markets, and by the way, housing prices now four straight months of moderating, although at record high levels, it's not increasing anymore. If you're going to also have that in the stock market, so we start the year with a 15% correction in the NASDAQ, that's going to cool off spending and animal spirits among the consumers and probably business owners as well. So a lot of what the Fed has accomplished, I think, is getting it closer to its goal of calming things down. And that will keep it from having to do emergency hikes, 50 basis point high. I just don't think they're going to need to. They will if they need to. I just don't think they will. Yeah. Maybe I'll be wrong. That's where I stand right now. May, may I come in on this? Because I think what Josh and I are both saying, and Josh has definitely been louder on this, is that the Fed will react to the stock market. The counter argument is what Jimmy Chano said, that the stock that the Fed is not going to bail out the stock market from bad decisions. I'm pretty sure what he's referring to there is GameStop, AMC, non-fungible tokens. I'm pretty sure that's what he's referring to. If Apple, just to pick a name out of a hat, but a pretty important one, if Apple's multiple, if somebody buys it today at 27, 26 times earnings and it goes down to 20 times earnings that's a different story that wasn't a bad purchase that needs to be bailed out that's the market saying something is dramatically wrong that is affecting the economy and the fed does need to react to it so if the counter argument is that the fed put is to bail out bad actors the person buying apple today or yesterday isn't the bad actor no, but that the, the mere notion that that you know some are waiting around for the fed to be more dovish tomorrow for Jay Powell and his they shouldn't. to, they to shouldn't. wait around, <laughs> that they're going to be mistaken. And by if they were, that in and of itself is, to some degree, Jim Labenthal, quote unquote, bailing out the stock market, right? So the stock market is it's, crying that's always out. The case. That's right? been the case for as long as I've been alive, and we can moralize about it. I like moralizing about it, too, but the Fed has bailed out the market yes, for it has. decades. But, but, but Scott, but wait, maybe, this time, maybe, this, time is, maybe this time is different. I think the whole point oh, is maybe this time is different, they, right? Maybe this time is different. They have no they, choice. Okay, but let me... Let me say one thing, yeah, Josh, before you go, okay? And I tried to say this yesterday. Analysts have been falling all over themselves to be more hawkish about what the Fed will do. You know, two months ago, we were talking about three rate hikes, and maybe they'd start in the second quarter. Then we moved it to March. Then it became four rate hikes, then five rate hikes, then a 50 basis point rate hike. And honestly, just relax. Everybody take a deep breath. The Fed is going to say probably they're going to end taper in March, and they're going to probably do a rate hike in March. And then they're going to see what happens. They're not going to commit to four rate hikes that's just that's not how they act they are more sober than that of course they're not going to commit to it the whole point though is that the market has committed to it because if you look at the 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 markets um they're at all contract highs at least they have been in terms of what the market is predicting that the fed is going to do let me add another voice to the conversation before anybody else um, jumps in nancy davis of quadratic joins us now uh, nancy it's good to have you back uh, I, I think you kind of agree that maybe the Fed backs off a little bit. At least you suggest we believe the Fed should be prudent and take its time to evaluate the economy before embarking on a swift rate hiking cycle and balance sheet reduction plan. So do you think the Fed is moving too fast? I agree with you, Scott. I, the forward guidance, they have been effective. The rates market does not believe inflation is going to stick around. We've had the biggest forward flattening in the yield curve since the financial crisis. The 18-month forward is about 15 basis points um, in, the, uh, in the yield curve. Um, the market is has already adjusted to a wildly hawkish Fed. And I like to say that, you know, talk is cheap. Forward guidance has worked. It's tightened financial conditions. And so I also agree with Josh that I don't think there are going to be that many. Uh, right now, the market's priced in almost four rate hikes this year in 2022 and with midterms also this year i think that's a little aggressive what, what how, how are you positioning your, yourself right now uh, in light of what may happen tomorrow well we're waiting to see especially about the balance sheet i'm pretty excited about if they bring in the balance sheet to the discussion because um that i think will likely steepen the yield curve and that will be beneficial for taking um the financial inflation that we've seen in, in markets, whether it's stock markets, credit markets, bond markets, and taking it and moving it to, to Main Street, right? The whole point of these macro prudential initiatives is to get capital to businesses 
to extend credit. And you really need a healthy upward sloping yield curve to do that because you know, why would I lend you money uh, out for 10 years if I only get paid 10 or 15 basis points more than an overnight rate? So you really need a, a healthy yield curve. And I think the Fed talking about the balance sheet reduction will really help to, to normalize um, where we are in the rates market. Because the rates market is priced for disinflation and a really um, kind of onerous uh, uh, outcome right now. It's not looking healthy. Yeah. Um, Steve Weiss, you want in? I mean, I guess we're going to find out what kind of pipes Jay Powell has, right? If, if this is going to be a, a lot of, yeah. about talk. Well, look, first of all, there's the dot plot. And the dot plot sort of gives you, not sort of, it gives you what there, what the Fed's feel is the different governors uh, that they're going to do or what needs to be done in terms of interest rates, inflation, and the economy. So they lay that roadmap out, and that map is out there and does show that more of the Fed than less thinks that you'll get some tightening. I think Powell is not going to reverse from his hawkish viewpoint. I also don't think he's going to double down on it. He said what needs to be said, and he'll continue to say what he's been saying. I also think it's ludicrous to say if Apple goes down a few multiples that the Fed's going to save you. But if some of the others go down, it won't. The Fed has, and I'll repeat this, I said it earlier, the Fed's primary focus right now for the good of the country is taming inflation with the only tools they know how. They're not going to balance the market trading down, which, by the way, despite the decline, is at the five-year average P.E., so should it be at the five-year average P.E. when rates have been zero for the last five years? Or should that P.E. be lower in a tightening cycle? Of course it should be lower. Steve, rates, so the Fed's not going to get all worked up about on the 10-year. Rates are 175 on the 10-year. I mean, go back three years ago, it was almost no 3%. Argument. And it was the same multiple. I mean, this, this, this hysteria is simply too much. And it's not helpful. Okay? For, yeah, the Fed's going to tighten. We know the Fed's pivoting. Jim, but four or five rate hikes and inflation's out of control. Inflation has been high. And it has every indication right now of rolling over. And the Fed's aware of it. And, and what Nancy just said about a flattening yield curve is a pretty powerful topic that I think you know. I think you're getting carried away, Steve. I really do. Jim, Jim, I don't think I'm getting carried away. And if I'm getting carried away, then the futures are getting carried away. And then are they so are, many the of the, the investors the I talked to. Come with Jim, let me market. finish. Jim. Jim. Hey, Jim. 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 Do us all a favor, Jim. Okay. When you toss it to somebody like Steve Weiss, can you let him finish? Because I can't understand a word, a word he's saying. Okay. I'll come back to you. I promise. Steve. Thank you. The facts are that the Fed is going to tighten half tighten. They can't sit around and wait any longer for inflation to come down. Whether they're right or wrong, and I'm not going to opine whether inflation is coming down or not. I'm just going to opine on what Powell said. Powell would look like a complete moron, further destroy his legacy if he pivots again and say, you know what? I was only kidding. Inflation is now transitory again. No, they're going to stick with the party line. It's not hysteria. And I prefer to see where the puck's going rather than keep my head in the sand and say, no, the Fed's not going to hike. We're going to have permanent free money forever. And I'll it's tell not, you what, not going to be the case. Don't, don't even think for a minute that the Fed, not that they would ever say it, and maybe they would. Um, they, they have to be happy with the fact that some froth has come out of the most frothy parts of the market. They don't want to be accused of of inflating a bubble any larger than they've already been accused of, of inflating in some areas of the market that we all know and, and talk about every day. Nancy Davis, let me ask you this. Um, if you look at the, the price action in, in the market yesterday, do you think yesterday we put in a bottom? What do, what do you make of how that has had traded yesterday and what kind of retests we may endure over the coming weeks, if not months? Scott, it depends what time of the day you were talking about, because around noon, it was not feeling so great, right? We were uh, definitely looking um, pretty, uh, equities were really selling off and markets were starting to, I think, get a little jittery. But I think this is all normal. Day-to-day um, -day investing is just so tough and investors really should be focused on the long term and having a diversified portfolio. I would say the one thing about the Fed is the Fed has been very effective on bringing down forward guidance. The rates market, interest rate markets, do not expect inflation to be anything other than transitory. You can see that with the level of 10-year yields. When we have CPI prints, uh, the last 
one above seven, the last two above six, and then the 10 years not even 2%, clearly the rates market doesn't believe inflation is going to stick around. So I think the Fed has been effective on bringing down forward guidance, and you can also see that in the downward sloping break-even curve. I think the question is whether hiking uh, the market expectations for hikes seems a little overdone to me with about um, six priced in uh, before the uh, next U.S. election. What, what are your expectations of volatility moving forward? Because that's really where you sort of made your name for yourself with some really yeah. great trades. So when I have you on, I, I think of you in terms of, of a good eye on volatility. What are your expectations? Well, at Quadratic, we really try to educate investors, especially fixed income investors, that if you have passive indices or benchmarks to core fixed income like the Barclays Ag or Bloomberg Ag Index, you know, a third of your portfolio is short volatility from the mortgage exposure. You know, just think about it. U.S. homeowners can prepay their loan whenever you want, uh, whenever they want. So the owner of that financial mortgage is short fixed income volatility. And so we always try to say it's very important to also have long volatility in fixed income. A lot of people think fall and they only think the VIX. The VIX is just, you know, one index. It's S&P <coughs> volatility. Anything with the options market has a vol market. So we really like to encourage investors to also look at um, some of, uh, you know, Quadratic's uh, access products to the fixed income volatility markets. Because if you don't own volatility, you're probably short it already. Mm. Interesting. Do me a favor, um, if, if you could, Nance, I'm not sure what, what your schedule looks like. If you can hang over the next break, because John Najarian is going to join us to talk about volatility as well, uh, some of the trades that he's seeing, and maybe uh, you know, you'll want to opine on that. So if you could sit tight. Everybody, I know you have more to say, and I know you want to get into the conversation. I promise I'll bring you in. Just bear with us. We'll take a quick commercial. We'll come back. We'll talk about that and much more coming up. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The SAT is going digital starting next year. Today, the College Board is announcing several changes for the entrance exam taken by millions of high school students each year. They'll be answering questions on a digital device for two hours instead of the current three-hour paper test. But students still do have to go to a school or testing center. The new test cannot be taken at home. The FAA has approved more altimeters for use at airports where new 5G towers are being rolled out. The move will allow about 90 percent of American commercial planes to make low visibility landings and the new 5G zones. Athens still digging out after a rare snowstorm that trapped thousands of people in their cars on a major highway overnight. The same storm also hit much of Greece and Turkey, dropping two and a half feet of snow in some places. And staying overseas, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says that he welcomes a new police investigation into whether several events some have characterized as parties involving his office staff violated COVID lockdown rules. 
They're already the subject of an internal government probe with a report expected within days. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, appreciate that. Rahel Solomon, thank you. All right, let's bring in John Najarian now, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Doc, the VIX, nice move yesterday. What are you seeing in terms of trading regarding volatility today? Well, we've seen a fair amount, Scott, of the uh, the same sort of uh, protection, I'll call it, people buying big upside calls in the VIX. Um, and that's something that you would expect. You know I'm going to say this as well, that uh, Pete and I focus on volume, volatility, and velocity. So did we have volume? Yes. I mean, we exploded in volume, like 20-plus million more contracts on the option side uh, than we've been seeing in the last several weeks, uh, the last two days, that is. Um, and today it looks like it'll be another one in the record books. Um, so that volume is there. The velocity, obviously, there with that bounce that Jim so accurately called for yesterday. And then you've got the volatility. Yeah, we spiked up to the basically the highs uh, that we've been at in the last year. Today, Scott, I'll note that uh, 72,000 of the March 70 calls in the VIX were purchased. That's 7.2 million con- uh, share equivalent. Again, a very big trade, the sort of trade that Nancy and I pay a lot of attention to. And I think a lot of people have now got some of that protection that they need, Scott. I'd point out just one more thing quickly that one of the reasons that I think that we may have uh, been very close to that bottom was the volume. Um, certainly that velocity move off the volume, but also that the Fed can't just walk away from the stock market. They're not going to be there to support the game stops and all those things that Jim said and Chanos was implying strongly as well. And they're not going to be just, just have the markets back. But on the other hand, if they crush the market, that means businesses won't spend. That means businesses hunker down, they hold cash, they get rid of employees and all that kind of stuff, all of which would be bad. Um, so that's why I think Powell will still talk tough, but they won't do much. And that's been my prediction for the whole year, and that's where I think we are. Proof is going to be in the pudding. We're, we're going to see, uh, Doc. Nancy Davis, do you, do you want to comment on, on what John Ajarian was was talking about? Yeah, I think John's points are all great. I think the big point is investors need to be diversified and having volatility as an asset class, um, using long volatility, especially short volatility is correlated with equities, but long volatility can be a diversifier. And I think the start of 2022 has been a reminder to investors that stocks and bonds can sell off together. It's all about correlations and having a diversified portfolio. And a little bit of a lot of things that are different can really help, um, especially investors who have that traditional 60-40 60-40 portfolio. So definitely um, owning some amount of volatility, whether it's equity vol or fixed income vol or commodity vol, anything with an options market has a volatility market because volatility goes into pricing options. And it's great to have you today, Nancy. Thank you. And thanks for your patience and sticking over the break. I'll see you soon. That's Nancy Davis of Quadratic. John Najarian, thank you as well. I appreciate your views. John's brother, Pete, is making moves as well, not on the show today with us, but he is going to call in next as well to share with all of you what he is doing in this wild and crazy market. There's your look at the major averages. Dow's down 376. Again, was down a little more than 800 earlier today. Not at the lows of yesterday, of course, when it was down 1,115 points at one point. There's the S&P today, off nearly 2%. NASDAQ, again, I said it's the epicenter, and you know it is. It's down nearly 3% at this moment pushing a nearly 400-point decline, 13,461. We're back with Pete after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I have another buyer. It's Pete Nigerian calling in now. Hey, Pete, you there? I am. How are you, Scott? I'm good, thanks. Co-founder of Market Rebellion, of course. We just heard from your brother. Uh, what are you doing in the market, Pete? Well, there's a couple different finances. Uh, PayPal, as you remember, back in December, I, I finally jumped into PayPal because I thought it finally reached a level that made much more sense. It was down right around 180. It, it, it traded pretty well. But obviously, because of what's going on in the markets right now, we're seeing a lot of different names getting pushed to the downside. We were, the reason I was so intrigued by that name, Scott, was they continue to have incredible growth. Their earnings per share just continues to grow for the last three or four years. It's double digits something that partnership with Amazon, the double digit with sales growth, all of that. When you look at a PE that was in the 80s, not too many weeks ago or yeah. months ago now, but uh, now it's in the 30s. And that one really got attracted to me hey, yesterday. Was yes, sir. Unfortunately, our signal our signal's horrible. So um, I got the trade in, in PayPal. It's, it's hard for our viewers, I know, to understand the, the reasoning why you added more other than the fact that the valuation had come in. And I clearly heard you, you say that. Um, can you just tell me what the next stock is? And if we still have a, a phone connection issue, I'm just going to let you run. And at least I'll know the name of, of what else you bought. Yeah, we're going to let Pete go. Um, I'm assuming our, our producers, I know um, at this point, know the name. Can you show um, it's Citigroup? Uh, and I understand it's a new position for Pete. I apologize to all of you for the, the bad connection, but that's just the way it works out. Uh, sometimes. So Pete um, adds to PayPal, as he mentioned, and he has bought Citi. Uh, and it's interesting, Shannon, a lot of notes today on both sides of the fence in terms of whether now is the time to buy or not. Wells Fargo says it is time to put new money to work like Pete has done and Josh has done. Jim Labenthal has done. Marco Kalanovic, J.P. Morgan, we cite him all the time. He said the bearishness in equities is overdone. B of A, Savita, Subramanian says buy some dips, obviously has a focus on some stocks that she would prefer you buy rather than others. The flip side of all that, Shannon, is Barry Bannister of Stiefel, no stranger to bearish market calls over the years. He calls what happened yesterday with the comeback a head fake, says there's S&P downside to 4,200. Barclay says it's too early to buy the dip. Fundstrat's technical strategist is talking about a retest looking more likely, and maybe that's in part what we had earlier today. Well, I think Nancy made a great point earlier, Scott, and it's all about time horizon. If you look out 12 months after the first rate hike, the S&P 500 averages 7% or so since 1994. Um, I think the thing that I'm focused on here is that we have gone through how many minutes of this show and we haven't yet talked about earnings season. Um, And I think that that is, to Josh's point from earlier, there isn't much coming out of these corporate earnings that's promising, and so therefore we're not seeing the upside. And I think the reason for that is this question about economic data. Um, Bad data is bad data right now. And so for these companies, they're not sure if the Fed just by hiking rates a few times this summer, can actually deliver improvement in inflation. They need to be very careful about their projections, particularly for margin in the back half of the year. And so I think what we're seeing is this perfect storm of decelerating economic data, a Fed that's acting, and this, you know, this uncertainty. And I, I think that that's why we're in the situation we're but in. You, Can we retest? Absolutely. OK, you you just you just maybe in, inadvertently walked into where I wanted to go next. Since you said we were here, we are 40 and a half minutes into the program and we haven't talked about earnings yet. I mean, let, let's do it now. Right. Microsoft, your biggest position. <laughs> Microsoft reports after the bell uh, tonight. Right. And I just wonder now, given everything that we've been witnessing in the market and how much that stock has come down, uh, whether more is riding on that than might otherwise be. 
I mean, you'd, you'd like to think so, given the percentage that that stock makes up of the index and how widely held it is. Um, but, you know, again, what is what's the upside here? They're probably going to deliver a great report. They could show some compression in margin, which we think is actually a little bit overstated in consensus right now. Um, there's going to be questions about their uh, Activision acquisition. And, you know, Microsoft doesn't have the best experience in delivering on, on consumer buys that it's made. And so there's going to be questions on that. But in terms of what can it do to deliver something like the performance we're seeing from American Express today, um, I don't think much. I mean, I, I, I think it's important that they come in. It's going to be about outlook. The reason that IBM is positive or was positive when we started the show today is the outlook for enterprise spend in the back half of the year. We need to hear strong comments about cloud. We need to hear strong comments about enterprise spend. But I think these companies are being very careful because they're not sure if all of the supply chain issues that, that Weiss talked about earlier and that we that are driving the inflation that we're experiencing are going to be remedied. And I, so I, I worry a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm less worried about them not delivering, you know, in terms of earnings and, and revenues. Um, I'm not as worried about the margin. But it's, again, coming back to the outlook and the fact that these companies cannot put all their faith in the fact that to trust the process that we're going to end up delivering that improved inflationary mm-hmm. outlook in the second half. Hey, Josh, how about this? Um, Wedbush on the pending tech earnings says the following, quote, we believe or we view this as the most important earnings season for the tech space in potentially the last decade. I believe that's Dan Ives uh, who puts forth that today. Um, What do you think about that? So I think it's less about what the companies actually have to say. Let's, Let's just assume earnings will be good. There's no reason not to, given the recent track record of most of the companies that we're talking about. So let's just take that as a given, right? That consensus is fairly close to what they'll do, and they're all pretty savvy about how they can beat by a couple of pennies, and everybody normally would be happy. That's not the issue. As I mentioned, the issue is the market's reaction to those quote-unquote good earnings. It may not uh, be what we need it to be in order for us to see that Monday was, was the bottom. These are gigantic stocks. They have a huge impact in what the overall tape does. Um, And look at like 3M had really good earnings last night. They said that inflation concerns are moderating. Mm -hmm. They said that Omicron is is going away. It's not helping. It's not helping. And and I mentioned IBM before. So uh, for me, it's not the numbers. It's the reaction to those numbers that are going to give me more or less confidence that we've seen the worst. I really don't think we have. I think the Nasdaq being in a a 20 percent or more bear market is likely and the S&P, what are we off? 8% from the high? That's nothing. Uh, we do that every two years on average, going well, back the last 90 not years. Not to mention so the fact. I, 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 I'm not rooting for lower prices. I just you. feel like people have, to get, people have to get comfortable with that possibility. Well, and given the fact that tech is such a large part of the S&P, if you get the NASDAQ to where you think it may go, obviously the point. S&P is going to be dragged down, too. So I feel you on that. Um, and by the way, Microsoft from 350 to, to 287. I mean, it's been a, a serious pullback for Microsoft. Weiss, quickly, though, if you would, you own Microsoft shares and you have puts as well. Uh, so you're a little hedged out here. I am, as I am on Apple, where I own puts as well. And I do it on the others, but the, but the options are so expensive. Look, you, you know, the stock trade down today because IBM talked about how much headway they're making in the cloud. So the question is, is that coming at the expense of share? Is it coming at the expense of price? So that's really what I'm interested in hearing from Microsoft. I don't expect them to confirm any of that. That's not what they do. But we've got to watch that going forward. Look, you lost the valuation umbrella in the entire market, so it was natural for all stocks to come down, including Microsoft. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Good stuff. Man, the committee's busy today. We'll take another break. We'll come back. Stephanie Link is making some moves that she wants you to know about. We'll do it next. I told you Stephanie Link was making some moves. She joins us now. And, Steph, I've got to be honest, I did a double take uh, when, when I saw that you sold Amazon <laughs> I know it was underweight already in your book, but you sold it completely. Why? Yeah, I'm surprising you a lot lately, right, with these fang names. Look, I've owned this stock for many, many years. I was up over 300 percent, to be honest with you. And I think that 
The fourth quarter is going to be fine, but I'm not happy. The first quarter numbers and the full year numbers are already starting to come down because of tough compares, especially in e-commerce, stay-at-home beneficiary. Mm-hmm. I think I think AWS will be just fine, but I think a lot of good news is in it, and I just don't like the way these things are trading. You know, I'm a bit I am a big believer in Facebook and Apple. Those are my two names that I've been adding to over the last six, eight weeks. Yeah. So those are my bets. In fact, I think I remember when you right you recently sold out of Alphabet and put that money into Meta, Facebook. Uh, if, if I recall yep. correctly. Yep. So that's a really so, big position for me now. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you also sold uh, Lamb Research and you bought more of Schlumberger, McDonald's and NXP. Yeah. And, and just real quick, the same thing with Lamb. I'm up 200 percent. I was buying this under two hundred dollars year uh, two years ago. What I am worried about, though, in addition to profit taking is double ordering. I'm starting to hear a little bit of that. And I'm concerned, given this valuation, what it's done in the last two years, it's good to take money and put it into NXP. I like auto as the end market. I like contactless payments. Also, they're buying back stock and it's trading at a pretty cheap multiple. Schlumberger, all you need to do is listen to that conference call last Friday. They're mm-hmm. talking about a super cycle price increase is in a tight market. And McDonald's, you know, I've loved this. This is my consumer staple, Scott. You know, this is the defensive name in my portfolio that I'm making a big bet on. Okay. Uh, Steph, I appreciate it. We'll we'll get GE uh, next time because there's some stuff to talk about for certain there. I got to run, though. I appreciate you you popping on with us. That's Stephanie Link. I promised you Tom Lee yesterday. I'm going to bring him in now. Uh, We had some technical issues yesterday, but Tom Lee, the Fundstrat managing partner, is with us now on the phone. Tom, can you hear me all right? Yeah, Scott, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So did we bottom yesterday? What are we supposed to do as investors now? Uh, well, as you know, when, when sell-offs start, you never know when they're going to finish. But we've already seen such a big reset that, I, I, you know, I think unless someone thinks the economy's turned and the bull market is peaking, and that's not our, our view, right, uh, These these are – Great entry points for people because you've got so many stocks down, and and yesterday had the feel of get me out of everything, which has been part of this fire strike. So yeah, so the bottom line, Scott, is you know, I think people have to look at this as a as a really attractive opportunity in 2022. You know, uh, I am I'm pulling from a note that you guys had, and I think it was from your technical um, strategist um, Newton. Retests look likely. Yep, Mark I mean, Newton. Mark Newton. So I mean. You're saying it's a it's a buying opportunity, but you're some of your people, at least, are are thinking that we're going to have retests, right? That this today is is likely not the only one. I want to be clear on exactly, you know, as as we're telling people now's a buying opportunity, that it still could be turbulent moving forward. That's right, Scott. Um, Mark, for anyone who wants to use technical and buy entries which is what Mark's trying to provide insights for. Um, and someone who wants to find a tactical low, you know, uh, when, when you hit the bottom and, and everything, from there, the selling is completed. According to Mark's work, we're not there yet. But for someone who's thinking about where the market is six months, 12 months from now, and that's really how active managers have to manage, right, because they're, they're not trying to necessarily catch the bottom, but they're trying to find good entry points. We're already down 10%, and many stocks are down more than 20. And you've already seen it in the in the VIX spike, and we've seen it in um, the inversion of the VIX curve, and the percentage of stocks above the 200 is now around 50%. I mean, these are levels associated with an extremely oversold market. So to me, the one thing people have to remember is if they are participating in this buyer strike, the recovery can be violent. And then they're going to miss, you know, potentially over three days, you know, five, six, seven percent gain. So I, I think to me, that's why I would say for those taxly minded six months out, this is a great entry point. So you're, you're still sticking with your uh, second half of the year could be good still for stocks, despite yes. what we're feeling now. And, and, you know, there's a hangover to that, a hangover effect to that as well. Yeah, and if anything, I would say, because, you know, we thought the first half would be tricky and that the highest probability of a 10% drawdown would take place in the first half of 2022, but we're already here. So, like, I, I almost think now, you know, we've priced in so much bad news that we're at the apex of that fear, and that means, you know, you know, like, for instance, the Fed meeting in March, it, it may end up being a big buying opportunity because we've already sold off so much. Do you still feel, though, that there I mean, if you look at certain areas of the market, I can easily make the case to you that there's still a lot of froth that needs to be worked out, maybe not in the overall market, 
but certainly in the quadrant of the market that's already gotten hammered, it's still not been down enough. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say the market feels fragile. Um, but whenever things feel fragile and we think a lot of things are half empty, right, because we're fearful of the Fed and the geopolitical tensions plus inflation, that means we're pricing in a lot of bad news. And I, I think that's the perspective that's important to keep in mind is that this doesn't mean to get out of stocks at all costs. This does mean first half is going to be treacherous, which it's proving to be, but this is going to be a great setup for a second half. Give me your view lastly as well. You know, it was notable as Bitcoin was the first to go green yesterday and the overall market followed. What's the message, if anything, in that? And how do you expect crypto to trade from here? Uh, you know, I mean, Bitcoin, I, I think the sell-off that's been in synchronized between crypto and equities shows that a lot of the new wallets are are basically risk-on dollars, right, mainly U.S. accounts. And so crypto and equities are going to be sort of linked. But, you know, is the Bitcoin narrative, you know, broken? It, it's not because, you know, in some ways, Bitcoin's become a much more attractive project because so much of the mining's moved to the U.S., so the hash power now is basically a U.S. hash power. There's a lot more payment rails coming. And I think the adoption is, is continuing to grow. And, and really, that's the key to Bitcoin is, is more wallets. So, I mean, it's been ugly. Crypto, you know, is a hyper-volatile asset class. And when the VIX is, at, you know, hitting 40, you know, crypto is not going to have a good week. And so I, I think we're, we're just seeing sort of the darkest of days now. But, again, I, I don't think that's where we are in June. Tom, you're a good man. I don't know where you are. I know it's somewhere good, but I appreciate you calling in and having this conversation yeah. with us. I'll be at a day late, but never a dollar short. Tom Lee, thank you. All right, that's fun strats, Tom Lee. Let's wrap it up with the investment committee. Jim Labenthal, sounds like you have some company. Yeah, I, I mean, look, Steve and I got into it, but it was a robust discussion, right? And I, the last thing I want to say on this is that I place very little predictive power in the Fed funds futures market and very little predictive power in the dot plot. Historically, they have been shown to be borderline useless. Give I'll me, leave it at that. Give me a final trade if you could, Jim. I'm with, I'm with um, Pete on Citigroup. It lagged last year, which means it's going to catch up this year. Okay, Shan? Um, nod to Jim on Ukraine, L3 Harris. Add some defense here. Okay. Josh Brown. Berkshire holding up better than many stocks. I think that will continue. Okay. Uh, Steve Weiss. In no rush to deploy cash. I'm staying in cash right now. Yeah. Steve, quickly, too. We only have 30 seconds left. Um, how critical the next few hours here, again, leading into Microsoft? You know, I, I think they are somewhat critical because if you see another pop, then I think it'll suck more people in the market. But that's not going to determine that the bottom has been, been reached and held. Yeah, uh, it's all going to lead up to tomorrow. Uh, again, the Fed making its decision on rates, the press conference from the Fed chair, Jay Powell. That's going to do it for us. Uh, appreciate you watching. There's the Dow. Again, was down more than 800, now down 366. I appreciate you watching the program. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.